Well, good morning. It is good to be here among you at First Baptist Church Edmonton. I feel like I've gotten to know your community over the last couple of years. Uh, I don't know how many hours I have spent on Zoom with Ryan and then with Jeremy and Don and, and Amanda and others from this community as you've had conversations about uh, becoming part of our association at the Canadian Association for Baptist Freedoms. I come bearing greetings from the community of First Baptist Church Halifax and from the Canadian Association for Baptist Freedoms, from the council of which I am a part, and from uh, the credentials committee of which I am chair. I'm especially grateful, as Ryan already mentioned, that you sent to us uh, Rhoda and Ben Limpfers. Rhoda is a deacon now at First Baptist Church, and uh, perhaps most importantly, they bring with them their two-year-old Phoebe, who uh, likes to call my name and find me, and it always makes me happy to see her smiles at church. I will add, uh, I like going about and speaking to folk and telling them I'm, I'm from Halifax, which leads some people to say, wow, I didn't know that people in Halifax had such a southern accent. So I think I should confess that I am an immigrant uh, from the States. I moved to Halifax in 2017 to serve at First Baptist Halifax. So if I slip in a y'all, just bear with me. Let us pray. And now, Lord, may the words of my mouth And the meditation of our hearts here together be found acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Atlanta, Georgia, March 2020. I'm in the fight and I'm swinging and my arms are getting tired. I'm trying to beat the emptiness, but I'm running out of time. I'm sinking in the sand and I can barely stand. If you had stumbled into the chapel service at Spelman College in early March 2020, just before COVID began sending us into new forms of isolation, you would have heard a choir singing those words composed and originally sung by Beyonce. The song is included in a liturgy designed by Yolanda Norton, an Old Testament scholar, preacher, and chair of Black Church Studies at San Francisco Theological Seminary. She calls the liturgy the Beyonce Mass. Reverend Dr. Norton connects the lyrics of Beyonce to the story of God revealed in Jesus She connects Beyonce and the story of God to the longings of people today. She writes, people are looking for a connection as they live in a disconnected world. After the Beyonce choir sings through the opening liturgy, Dr. Norton preaches at Spelman College. Her text was from Ecclesiastes, weaving together lyrics, scripture, and the challenges of life today. Months after that service at Spelman College, well into pandemic time, Dr. Norton reflected on this unusual liturgy, and I quote, The Beyonce Mass is not about Beyonce. Her music is used to undergird the word. I hope the church is entering a period where it acknowledges that it has to seek God in all things, 
and not live in this kind of litigious paradigm of Christianity that excludes so many people. This Mass is about beauty and community and how God works in community and how hard isolation is. And now we're in this moment where so many people are feeling isolated. We need to be intentional about community. Athens, Greece, sometime in the mid-first century. For in God we live and move and have our being. For we too are God's offspring. The first line is from the Greek philosopher-poet Epibenemes. The second is from the ancient Greek poet Aratus. If you had stumbled into the Areopagus in Athens some 2,000 years ago, you might have heard these pop lyrics spoken by the Apostle Paul. He was a stranger in the city, but found himself invited into the center of the city's intellectual and cultural life. Athens the cradle of Western civilization, the intellectual center of the Western world, the birthplace of democracy, home to Socrates, Plato's Academy, Aristotle's Lyceum, a place where people spent their days thinking deep thoughts, a city known to be religious, curious, and learned. What would Paul do? with this simple message about a God who lived and died and rose among us, busting down barriers to create new communities of love? How would Paul translate the message amidst the greatest minds of his world? I picture Paul this morning fleeing into the city of Athens. He was fleeing safety in Athens stumbling around to find his footing amidst the majesty of the city's architecture, walking, I imagine, with open mouth, head tilted upward, taking in the magnificence of humanity's ingenuity and creativity. Massive stone columns rising up out of the ground, many of them dedicated to the gods of Greek mythology, the Stoa of Zeus, the Temple of Ares, the Hall of the Twelve Gods. I felt a bit like Paul yesterday, landing in Edmonton, walking around downtown in the beautiful afternoon, taking in the Waterdale Bridge, gazing at the Greek-Roman and Egyptian-influenced architecture of the Alberta Legislative Building and the plastic sheeting on it as well looking out on the North Saskatchewan River Valley, the steel ribbon on the exterior of the Art Gallery of Alberta. I'm not sure where all you Edmontonians, gods of yesterday and today are revered in stone, maybe Rogers Place. I did catch something of a vibrant communal liturgy just outside Rogers Place yesterday afternoon. Paul's walk through Athens revealed to him that the people there 
like the people gathered for the Beyonce Mass in Atlanta, like our neighbors, like you and like me. The people in Athens were looking for connection in a disconnected world. They'd even made an altar to express their longings. You see, amongst the many altars and magnificent buildings dedicated to the gods of Greek mythology, Paul's imagination was arrested by one altar, the altar to an unknown god, an altar that that gave testimony to the people's longing to connect to God, whomever God is. An altar made by people whom Paul says, and the Greek Greek says, uh, people who were groping for God. Paul began speaking into this longing for connection. Paul knew that, that to draw connections, he could not begin by explaining how Jesus fulfilled Old Testament scripture. That would not mean anything to his Athenian audience. In front of this audience, Paul presents his message in a new way. He begins by discussing natural revelation, a reflection on the ways humanity has come to search for and know something of God through the natural world. And then Paul weaves in the lyrics of famous Greek poets, for in God we live and move and have our being, for we too are God's offspring. It's not unlike what Yolanda Norton does in the liturgy of the Beyonce Mass. Indeed, to start the conversation, Paul does not even mention the name of Jesus, not at first. Did you you notice that? Paul says that a man, he doesn't name the man, a man has been resurrected by God to show us a new way to live. Of course, that new way to live is at the heart of the gospel, a way of love that produces good news to the poor and and recovery of sight to the blind, release to prisoners and, and liberation of all who are oppressed. Some of those gathered in Athens laughed at Paul's crazy talk, especially when he started talking resurrection. Others wanted to know more and agreed to gather to hear Paul give another lecture and engage in dialogue about this God revealed in this man who had been resurrected. Still others committed to the way of Jesus there and then. Edmonton, Alberta, today. Yolanda Norton reflects, I hope the church is entering a period where it acknowledges that it has to seek God in all things and not live in this kind of litigious paradigm of Christianity that excludes so many people. The Beyonce Mass is about beauty and community and how God works in community, and how hard isolation is. And and now we're in this moment when so many people are feeling isolated. We need to be intentional about community. And it's true, isn't it? In our disconnected world where change is coming at us at a rapid pace, and when so much of what we thought we knew for certain yesterday falls apart today, today, 
in a world of constant disorientation, there are churches groping for a litigious paradigm of Christianity that attempts to build walls around a narrow identity. A litigious paradigm that silences questions and is designed to keep out those who do not fit within the neat confines of a bullet point set of faith propositions that excludes so much of our brilliant diversity as a human community. And I get it. Sometimes it just feels like too much work to have to rethink our understandings of God in a world changing at exhausting pace. But I don't think that the litigious paradigm is the paradigm of the New Testament. It certainly isn't the paradigm of the Apostle Paul. Look at what Paul is doing. He's taking time to understand the people of Athens. Instead of condemning them for their marble altars to the gods, he looks deeper to see within them a longing for connection, connection to sacred stories, connection to one another, connection to the natural world, connection to God. And instead of trying to hit them over the head with condemnation while shouting out the name of Jesus, he gathers with them for dialogue, quotes recognizable lyrics from Greek poets. Paul connects with people and shares the liberating love of God he's discovered in Jesus. I call this an opening paradigm. And this opening paradigm is at the heart of the book of Acts. Already a genderqueer Ethiopian royal official whose sexuality had excluded him from parts of the Jerusalem temple was baptized in what can only be described as an astonishing miracle. Already Peter has had visions with a blanket of unclean animals coming down from heaven and the good news that he could expand his barbecue menu and more importantly the people he would eat that menu with because and I quote Peter in Acts directly here God has shown me that I should not call anyone profane. Already Paul has followed a vision and set his feet on European soil where he established the first church in Europe with an independent businesswoman named Lydia who was head of her own household. My friends, the wild winds of Holy Spirit in Acts teach us that we are to live not by litigious paradigms, but by an opening paradigm. A paradigm that demands we ask new questions of our faith. A paradigm that demands we begin and end with the love at the heart of the Jesus way of life. When we meet new people who challenge our religious understandings, Acts teaches us that's a call to rethink our understandings, to engage in dialogue, not to rethink the belovedness of our neighbors. And in a world like ours, that is increasingly disconnected, in this time when churches are shutting down as fast as video rental stores in the 2000s, in this age, we best take, make, take serious 
what sort of paradigm we are going to live by. Not not so that our churches will survive, but because our neighbors, like the good people of Athens in Paul's time, are still building altars to unknown gods and longing for connection, connection to one another, connection to sacred story, connection to the natural world, connection to God. And I still believe that we people of Jesus have good news to offer to a world groping for God. The news of a God who once took on human flesh and walked among us and changed water to wine at our parties and and invited all of us to dinner and loved us until we thought what was what we thought was an end. And then that end turned out to be just a new beginning of divine love sweeping through our lives in our world. Today I'm thankful for you here at First Baptist Church Edmonton and for our joining together with other open paradigm Baptists through the Canadian Association for Baptist Freedoms. That last word in our name grounding us in the kind of openness we find in the early Church of Acts a community centered in Jesus and open to individual and congregational diversity, open to questioning, open to dialogue about matters that might force us to rethink yesterday's certainties, open to the embrace of all people, open to understanding that how we connect the good news of Jesus to our neighbors in this time and place will require us to live by an opening paradigm. I don't know about you, but I find living out of our Baptist freedoms so much more exciting and life-giving than arguing about litigious identity statements designed to shackle our freedoms in Jesus. As Beyonce sings, you better wake up because you're part of something bigger. You're part of something way bigger. Hallelujah. Amen.